Welcome back to Lost in Citations. Today's guest is Dr. Stephen Ryan, professor in the School of Culture, Media, and Society at Waseda University. Dr. Ryan, thank you for coming on Lost in Citations. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Jonathan. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's get to the meat of the interview. How was uh, your windsurfing yesterday? Yesterday, actually, was one of the best days of my life. Really? <laughs> it really was. Oh, yes, it was. But don't get me started on that because if you ask me about that, I will never stop talking about wind. And, and I should warn listeners here that I tend to make everything, turn everything into a windsurfing metaphor. So I like that. <laughs> you know what? I, um, when I saw your email, I actually told my wife about it because talk about the carrot at the end of the stick. I, I'm kind of in the throes of, of a project and I feel really burned out and just locking myself in a room for months and but then thinking oh my gosh one day and my future self can be a professor at Waseda University and going windsurfing all the it, it was a cool kind of moment <laughs> that oh there is a future besides just you know killing myself with with work oh definitely definitely um and I would recommend getting out on that sea and feeling the strong wind in the sails and it, it, it does clear all your um, brain cells and gives you a sense of perspective and you can actually do a lot of thinking while you're, you're doing that windsurfing as well well we got to talk about it i mean how long have you been doing it <laughs> um i'm curious because actually that's one thing i want to do and and you're right there is nothing better than that good you know the good waves or the good wind and it's yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing worse than no wind obviously you're just sitting there probably baking in the sun how did you yeah. how did you get into that do you live close to the beach I actually do live close to, very close to the sea here, and um, a, it's kind of professional related. Actually, what happened was, um, some listeners may have actually attended a conference we held here in Tokyo in two thousand and eighteen. Mm -hmm. It was the Psychology of Language Learning Conference at Waseda University, um, which was. I was involved, I was actually organizing it, and it'd been a, the, the, the organization, the whole planning behind this, it'd been a huge um, project mm. and just taken up all my life for two years, I guess. Wow. And then I, the conference, I, people seemed to enjoy it, and it went well. We had people from all over the world, and it was, we had this great energy. Uh, when it was finished, I still find myself coming to my desk in first thing in the morning, ready for um, conference organizational duties. And I thought, the conference is finished. Mm. <laughs> what do I do now? And I was I'd still, I, 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 I really do have to get a life. <laughs> so <laughs> did, you, did you buy like a, a wind? Uh, what's it called? A wind <laughs> What's it called? There's a surfboard. Is there a term for it? What did you buy? Uh, um, I've got to be careful about this because it's, it's, I've spent a lot of money on this. Um, you have a board mm -hmm. and you have a mast and there's a set, there are different sails and it all depends on the you know, strength of the wind, the, the, the sea conditions. You have wavy conditions. It has one type of board. Um, when you're in flat conditions, you have a much bigger, flatter board that goes very fast. And that's, I just, after the two years, I finally think I can say I am a windsurfer. And that was yesterday. I would consider that my graduation yesterday. Wow. 
That's so the weather oh. turned out as as expected. Oh, it was better. Beat all expectations. The sun was shining. The wind was stable. The, the, the sea was flat. It was shallow and it was warm. So, yeah. Wow. Is, was, it, is, I, it, is it a pain to get it in and out of the water? The gear? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But that's a, a, it, a lot of the learning process is actually, and this is why I actually find it really useful in terms of professional it does help because one of the reasons that actually started is because i'm so bad at it and it's been really good to be you know a complete novice and learning something from scratch and being totally useless at something um you know standing it sounds uh, but if you pick up one of those sales as a beginner you'll probably stand on the wrong side. It will throw you, <laughs> it will it'll fall on top of you and you'll be struggling for a long time to get out of from under that sail and you'll be exhausted. And you look so foolish, but it's actually quite nice as, you know, as a, as a grown adult to be in that situation again because mm. we, we, we're rarely in that position as, you know, functioning adults. And it's, it's quite um, revitalizing. Well, I, I think it's a cool hobby. And it's funny what you just said because I I've just kind of finished a big project, and I found myself coming back to the computer. I guess because you're just routine oriented, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought, why exactly. don't you just go for a walk? It's a beautiful day. Exactly. Why are you do? Why exactly. are you just sitting at this computer? So exactly. I I was really motivated by that that story. And um, well, let's let's get into the book because this was a different <laughs> okay. time in your life. The psychology yeah. of the language learner revisited. This was yeah. published in 2015 when you uh, mm -hmm. co-wrote with Zoltan Dornier. Now, yeah. at that time, this was this was pre-windsurfing, Dr. Ryan. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, we talked a little bit before the show. The research was quite in-depth, and you hit so mm -hmm. many topics. This is almost mm – -hmm. I, I would say this could almost be a textbook or a manual for researchers in so many different fields. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about the process of, of – you know, writing the book and, and organizing your time, getting through all the time. Like we, we just briefly, before we started the show, I just talked about that one section where we talked about language aptitude. Mm -hmm. And I thought you went really deep, uh, way deeper than just the Spark Scanshaw versus McIntyre debate. And and then you said you kind of went back and you read it. And you also agree that you did quite a lot of research for for this book. What, what was it like putting this all together? Um. Well, the first thing to say about the book is that, it, that this is a revisited. It's a, it's a revisitation of an earlier book that was written in two, published in 2005. So the structure of the book was very much based on that the, the original volume, and we, we had to stick quite closely to that for various reasons. And as a, a, um, a device, I think it works quite well because it, does, it really brought home how much thinking the whole around and the actual field itself had changed so rapidly within 10 years mm. um and so organizationally we, the, that was kind of set in stone and we, we we didn't have much room for maneuver with that so um in terms of the process um maybe i can go back to my sort of relationship with the first volume here, the psychology, the, 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 the full title is The Psychology of the Language Learner, 
individual individual differences in second language acquisition mm -hmm. and sure. that was the first volume and i encountered that as a, a, with as a phd student um and zoldonio he was in the process of writing that volume when i when i was his student um mm -hmm. and it was my first encounter with them um, as with a book in preparation and and to, and to be honest i was just uh awed uh, in this complete state of awe and amazement that one person could know so much mm. and could could put all that knowledge together in a coherent comprehensible and enjoy and readable manner and, and, and i was i really was I just no idea how anybody could do that. It just seemed way beyond anything I could ever do. Mm. And then 10 years later, he sort of said, well, do you want to work on a follow-up with me? And my first reaction was, no way. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is way out of my league. Um, and what he told me was actually that the the best part of writing the best part of writing these books is is the oh, learning process. Sorry, sorry uh, doctor, I need to push pause for a second. My daughter's at okay. the door. Sorry, one second. Okay. Okay. What he told me was with the the best part of writing comes from the from learning through writing, and um, I've found that it, that you, when you're actually learning as you write, you, you you tend to be more engaged with what you're writing, whereas when you, you or very familiar with the topic, perhaps your engagement, your your, your passion, doesn't come through in, in the writing itself. Hmm. And and Zoln, he told me that the, a lot of his work is like that. That he's actually, for him, the writing itself is a learning process. Um, I like, does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. I I think that's what has driven me. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I'm entering the field of psychology, so there's been a huge yeah. learning curve. And at times yeah. it's very daunting, but it has motivated me to keep going. Mm -hmm. And um, But that is interesting. I, I always thought maybe at, maybe at a certain point – that's really interesting. I thought at a certain point you reach some a stage of your career where you just know so much more than everything so much faster. But coming from mm -hmm. someone like Dornier and yourself to say that, that it's exciting. It's, I, I, need to, I need to sort of reflect on that. That's – that's so you're always sort of in the process of learning when you're writing a, a book like this. I don't know if you've ever I had this as a classroom teacher. You know, it, when I'm in my very earliest days as a in the classroom, I had very little expertise or technique, but I had tons of passion and enthusiasm. And over the years, as my expertise grew and my tech I became more technically accomplished as a teacher. I'm not sure if I ever had the same passion mm. and how students reacted to me, I'm not sure um, if I became more effective. That's very interesting. Well, let's let's go back in time a bit. So you yeah. studied your PhD with Dornier at Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. Can we go back yeah. even before? So what led you uh, to to get to Dornier? And, and can you talk a little bit about your undergrad and maybe your, your master's and what brought you there? Undergrad's going back a long, long way. And so, 
Well, I, well, actually, that's, that's probably I, I started language teaching in the late 1980s, actually, in Europe, and then I moved, came to Japan. For I was a language teacher in London, actually, and um, this was I came to Japan in 1990, and I had no real academic ambitions at all, but I actually was quite interested in the the teaching process. But one of the things that fascinates me, I, I, I thought I'm not really a very good teacher, and I really need to find out how to be a better teacher if I'm going to do this for long the long term. Mm. And, you know, I, I did. I explored various options, and one of the one option I started to go down was the academic research, looking at theory, basically because I thought it would improve my me as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I did an, an a master's in the UK in the early nineties, and then I was relatively I came relatively settled in Japan, and the doctorate thing was it was much more for um personal growth reasons that i decided to do it because i was sort of felt like i was stagnating in a in a job here that was very admin oriented mm. and i just i just needed some refreshing at the time and I, how i got in contact with zoltan in the first place i i, I actually don't really remember. When <laughs> but you, I'd always been interested. When did you Sorry. start your PhD? Um, that was a, the, probably 2002, I think. And but the, the, what happened was there was a lot of going backwards and forwards administratively at the time. I do remember that. Um, so were you able to do it remote from Japan? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, 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 and this was the good old days where it was totally research based so i would i would go i'd visit twice a year mm-hmm. so I'd visit the uk twice a year and then conduct research in japan and it was so i had my sort of feet in both camps i was physically here but mentally i was in the uk at the time that's inter- that's kind of what i'm doing now I, it's 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 difficult at times, but I think it's really it's really great. It's uh, to I mean, I find it really invigorating being in the the just being a student, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you finished your PhD around the time that this the first volume came out, two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just after that. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was. I was really fortunate with the timing, actually, that. Um, so much in, in in many respects because when I was when I started there really wasn't that much literature in this field available mm. and which made the research um, a lot more manageable than it would be these days mm. on the other hand interest was sort of bubbling under and just when I got involved there was a, suddenly there was a Oh, this sort of upsurge in interest in some of these issues, and so I, I think I was very, very fortunate with the timing. You, and you, a, a lot you, you seem very humble. I mean, there's there's got to be more to the story. I mean, you you 
you you're a PhD student of Dornier, which is a very competitive uh, place to be, and then you end up being the co-author of this this second volume. He must think very highly of you to have to have to have asked you. Did you what, what was the relationship like? Where, like you said, your first reaction was like, "Oh, I don't want to do this," but you must have had a sort of a strong professional relationship, or he must have had a you know a level of respect to have to have asked you to do this. You know, ten years later. Yeah, we 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 get on very well. I would consider him a very good friend of mine, and um, and I think we we both share quite a strong view of, of the importance of good writing. That, that academic writing should be um, it needs to be good writing, and it, we're not just a lot of write, um, academic writing. Is I find quite unpleasant to read mm. and difficult to read, and it, it, it doesn't mean dumbing down or anything like that. But I, I, I think we both felt very strongly that you 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 still have a duty to your audience when you're writing. That you and I think we, we that was where we clicked on this. And Zoltan to be to he's got a lot of strengths, but in my view, one of his great strengths is he he knows what other people's strengths are. Mm. So he would never dream of asking me to do some kind of um, empirical data collection because I, I'm not very good at that. And he knows I wouldn't be of much use to him. But uh, this kind of thing of putting together ideas and uh, explaining them to a wider audience, he that's... He, he sort of sees me as someone who could do that. Well, can we talk about that for a bit? Uh, the idea of sure. writing well as opposed to just writing for research. I, I find it too. Uh, sometimes I'll read – I actually read an article the other day, which was something that was really important for what I'm researching. It was a, it was a quite an important element, I thought. Mm. And I just kept thinking – I wonder if this person could have written it more simply. I just, that's and I just kept getting distracted. Um, like I really needed information, but I just kept thinking, can't couldn't this be said more simply? Like mm -hmm. the the words that were being used, mm -hmm. it was it was to the point where it's the and I get it. It's it's something I battle with too. You you have to come across as competent and academic. Yeah. Um, but then I think some people go too far, and then mm -hmm. actually the message is lost in minutia or just, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. So how, uh, do you have any advice for people how to avoid going too far? What, like, how do you find that middle ground where that nice, easy, not easy. It's hard to, it's, it's even hard mm. to talk to, to, to ask. It, it can't be easy, but it should be clear, right? Clear and easy yeah. to read clear. Mm. Maybe that's the best word. Is it clarity? Yeah. The, the, for myself, I think, well, I think one thing is that as, um, academics we we need to find our own voice and we all have different voices but that takes that takes a lot of you know experimentation practice and we it doesn't doesn't come easily it doesn't and it doesn't come quickly so you do um, you know need to look at yourself and um think about who you are and who you want to be and I, I did a few things that just weren't me at, at all early, early in my career. And then it, I sort of found what I liked doing, what I enjoyed doing. But And how I found it was 
it was in a book. Then if we ever, if she ever wants to do a series called "Books That Change My Life" or something, this book was the the, the title is "Learn How to Write Badly." Hmm. And the the central thesis of the book is that the um, writing the social sciences is based on bad writing. Mm. That the career structure of these social sciences sciences very much encourages bad writing. Why and, is that? Um, because people are required to write more than they need to. I see. People are, are writing for when the the. the the chapter starts, and it's really fascinating how little academics used to write. In mm. you know, people would have one book or two books throughout their whole career, and you know, one or two books, a few articles, and that was a whole career. Mm. Whereas these days, we're, we're sort of obliged to keep keep writing, and maybe we don't have that much to say sometimes. Mm. Um, and this, but the the when I when I read that book, it just it gave me a, a, a sense of purpose that yeah, I want to I, I want to do this, but I want to write well, and I, I I want to encourage other people. You know, academic research is great, but you don't. That doesn't mean you have to write it poorly. Do so you- it's always been a big big thing thing for me. Do you teach, um, or do you have PhD candidates, or do you do you, do you do advising on uh, yeah, yeah. upcoming academics? Yeah, I have doctoral students at Waseda. Yeah. So yeah. how how do you how do you coax someone? <laughs> it, it can be. I'm getting used to it now. Um, the amount of I, I would say the amount of revisions that are required for mm-hmm. my writing is more about. Not necessarily like the style of writing, yeah, but more like just getting used to the field of psychology. Like, oh, you can't, you can't say that. Like something like that. And yeah. at first it was confronting, but now I'm used to that. I'm used to the volume of criticism. But I yeah. do, I do say people are can be a bit sensitive receiving criticism. But then after a certain months or years, then you say, oh, that was that was really good feedback, even though it was hard to take. Yeah. Do yeah. Do you yeah. find it's better to give it straight? And clear, or do you do you try to you know uh, give a criticism? You know, try to make sure it lands well. Uh, that's a tough thing because maybe one day in the future I'm going to have to do that, and I'm going to have to think about it. Because yeah. again, people are busy too, right? So if you have a, if I, like for me, if I have an advisor who's quite busy, he's doing thousands mm-hmm. of things. So if she, you know she's reading through my stuff, um, she probably has a time crunch. She doesn't have time mm-hmm. to tell me in a nice way. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I re- read something like everything that's written down is actually sounds actually more harsh than if it's said. Like even in an email, yeah. like you have to. So yeah. anyway, what's your what's do do you have a style of how you you coach people? Do do you try to find their weaknesses and, and try to gently help them through? Or um, I think one of the things I've learned over time is that you know people respond to criticism very differently. Mm. Um, I, in my own, one of the, the, the key date points in my own sort of doctoral studies was, um, I can remember, it was I think it was either Christmas Eve or December the 26th. I had an email from Zoltan um, 
and it was let's say it was very blunt mm. <laughs> and it was devastating actually um in its bluntness and it was christmas and but it was true mm. and i at the time it was very hard to process and but it worked for me that approach worked for me and i have tried a similar approach myself with other students and it doesn't work for all students i found so i, I think you, you do have to understand that people react to criticism very differently people are invested in different ways at different levels and because um it is hard it is very especially at the beginning like now i i really it, i don't enjoy criticism but actually I'm a bit annoyed when people don't give me criticism from if I've done something because I'm in the opposite end of the spectrum these days. Sometimes I, I get to feel that people haven't read it and they've just said, yeah, this is okay. Uh, and I'd be like, you know, I would have liked a bit of feedback on this. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think the, it's a kind of, at the beginning of your career, the, the, probably because you, you're quite insecure about what you're writing sometimes, the criticism can hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you've got to learn to love that criticism because it's your best friend in the long run. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about your approaches to writing. So this this was a massive project. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure you you attack something like this a little bit different than an article or a book chapter oh, yeah. or a collaboration. And you're also um, editor of book series, which yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not really too familiar what that position is. I, I think it's something you you're dealing with the sort of the beginning stages. Can you, can you talk about how you, how you manage all these sort of tasks? Do, do you kind of put on a different hat when you're doing a different project? Do you, do you, have, do you sort of have the same philosophy that you kind of adapt to to every project. Um, how, well, I think you have to have different hats that because the your 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 role is different. And sometimes um, when I'm looking at the the series editor thing, it, it is is different in this way. You you because you are on the side of the person who's who's you're on the side of the author and you're trying to get the author to to realize his or her um the 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 potential of the research and Mm. so it's a very much a supportive role um but i think i still always in whatever i do i always have that core principle of the writing must be good that's that's what drives me uh but it doesn't drive everybody other like my co-series editor sarah mercer she's far more interested in the the research itself and the that side of the the, the process so, so i think we work well together because we have different interests well, and i think people do have different interests and different strengths i need to throw in a, a couple plugs here because it's important okay. um, you're you're a, ser- you're a series editor of the psychology of language learning and teaching mm-hmm. um, which you just mentioned and your your co-editor is sarah mercer yeah. You also mentioned the iApple, um, yeah, and you're on the executive board of that, the International yeah. Association for the Psychology of Language Learning, which I just joined yeah. this month. Oh, um, thank you. That's good. So on the website, I'll, I'll put the links and to this this book, 
um, the psychology of the language learner revisited. So those links will be up on the website. It's interesting because I, I took a big break between my my bachelor's and my master's, and now I'm kind of going into the PhD way late, okay. way later. I never thought I would ever do it. But I have to be honest, I think I'm coming into it at a great time. Um, the books that are coming out on this series, uh, The Psychology of Language Learning and Teaching, they've just been invaluable. And they, they, good to hear. and they just keep on coming and they just keep on coming. And um, especially with, like, with the language learner anxiety, we were, we were kind of talking about this before we started the show that, that you said maybe you were going to revisit this, this volume in another 10 years. Um, and, but when I was reading the book, this one for the 2015, I thought, geez, so much has changed in just six years. So maybe it needs to come out faster. So I guess you are thinking about doing an update in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm actually in the early stages of the writing the update at the moment. Um, it's scheduled to come out in 2023, I think. Okay. So that's. But what's interesting is when the, the very first book that came out, the, the original Psychology of the Language Learner, which came out in 2005, when that book came out, there were almost no titles available with the word psychology and language learning in them. There, there, there was nothing. There was, there was a book by Marion Williams and um, probably his first name, Burden. Um, it was the psychology of language, psychology for language teaching teachers, which is a fantastic book. But other than that, um, there was just almost nothing there. And then, as you said, now the, 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 there's just so much interest and so much activity, which is a great thing. There was there was a recent book uh, with contributing authors. I think it was New Insights on Language Learning Anxiety um, that was published in 2018. Yeah, and like you said, like this, this something like this was just not around in two thousand two, two thousand five, and the the quality of right. I mean, McIntyre wrote a chapter in that. Um, Horowitz wrote a chapter in that. Yeah, and and they're reviewing all of the the movements and the changes that have happened since they were doing their PhD. So I actually feel quite uh, fortunate and excited that I'm doing it at this time. Uh, maybe it's like it was good, to, but because I can't imagine going and doing the research I'm doing now. I think there was one article I referenced from like 2001, and and that was it about something. You know, it's so, like you said, it's it's getting easier. I think, and the fact that you started this, the International Association for the Psychology of Language Learning. Even when I found out this existed, I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. And then I thought, oh, I, I, I guess all of these people were kind of thinking the same thing. We need to have our own organiz organization where we yeah. promote and uh, and support each other. Well, what used to happen, and it's not that long ago, we'd, we'd be at international conferences. Um, and, you know, basically around the SLA field, and we'd find ourselves in sort of little corners um <laughs> isolated from everybody else and then gradually our corner was getting bigger and bigger over time and you, you, rather than two or three people sitting in the corner became five or six <laughs> then became 10 to 15 and then when we had our conference um two years ago it was 
it was a bit overwhelming. They, uh, we, I was organizing the conference and the, we, um, I don't say sold out, but what's what's the word? Like registration was, it was it was instant. Um, we were just turning people away because wow. we just could not. We had, you know, with um, what's the word? Safety regulations. We just couldn't get more people in the building. Wow, that was our limitation on. Um, we just had to. Usually, I don't know if you're familiar with conferences that how it works. You're you're often getting. Deadline has been extended. Deadline has been extended. We mm. were like deadline. We're going nowhere near our deadline. We're we're closing early because wow. we we're we're full. Um, we we could have easily packed in another two hundred people, who were, which was amazing. Do you know Kate Mayer? Um, she she teaches in Japan. So I I actually interviewed her in a past episode. Okay. She she co-wrote a paper with Jim King, yeah. and that was um, published in the journal um, associated mm-hmm. uh, associated with iApple. Yeah. And I actually was talking to her about the same thing that you know when I go to conferences. Next time I go to a conference, I'll look for Kate for sure. But I yeah. always I always feel like at least in Japan, there's not so many people talking about psychology or anxiety or silence or these sort of things. And then she told me that she actually went to one of the conferences maybe a couple of years ago and she was just the same one that, so yeah. thrilled. Um, and I guess what the next conference is going to be in Nova Scotia. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately with the way the world is at the moment, it was supposed it was scheduled to be last year, but it's been postponed and it will be taking place in um, 2022. That's so, it's so, um, it's so funny to me because I, I interviewed Peter McIntyre and he just yeah. talking about how much he loves Nova Scotia and he never, ever would want to leave. And, I just thought it was so funny that so I, I, Pete, I I'd Pete, like to go because I've never been to Nova Scotia. Neither have I. Neither have I. Are you going to go? I hope so. Yeah. Um, Peter was the, the first conference was held in Graz in 2014 with um, and Sarah <laughs> Mercer was in the energy behind that. And when we did that, that was actually came from a, another book Sarah and I co-edited with um, Marion Williams in, in the, it was the titles were something like new insights in, 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 that's your title the insights into psychology and language learning mm-hmm. and it was a collection of papers and we were we both just finished our doctorates at that time and we were like what do you do next and we actually were quite naive and we, we just sort of we'll get some people to come together for a conference <laughs> and it just then we sort of said how do you organize a conference no idea and we we did it and it just snowballed and we just i think we were just the right there was just any this all these people in different parts of the world we had so many people from brazil hmm. they were just all came from around the world they're all interested in the same topics and so, as you said, I think you're picking the right time to be involved in this. Well, I, this is something I wanted to talk about. Uh, in the book, you talk about methodological challenges. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this was something, again, that Dornier talked about in the foreword to Contemporary Language Motivation Theory, 60 years <laughs> since uh, Gardner and Lambert, where he talked about how Maybe some people don't have the qualifications for personality or anxiety research. 
and that's why they kind of steer away from it. Or maybe mm-hmm. some people that do it shouldn't do it. What, what's your what's your kind of take on this? Because now there's this organization where people can support each other. Yeah. And then there's some people, like for me, for example, who couldn't – I wasn't able to find a PhD program outside of psychology for what I was doing. So my degree will actually be in psychology. Um, but Dornier yeah. sort of talked about that, that you know, McIntyre's era – they were psychologists first, yeah. And then Dornier's era, they were applied linguists first, mm-hmm. applying psychology. And I think Al Hori said the same thing. He said, "Why are we called applied linguists? Why are we called, yeah. called applied linguists? We're applied psychologists." Mm-hmm. So, what's your what's your kind of t- take on that? How those fields intersect? And it's actually a very ser- serious issue, very serious issue with, um, and I think that. The little divide you mentioned then is very the psychologists who are interested in foreign language learning or foreign language teachers who are interested in psychology. That was a, a kind of neat split, and it was very true of what was happening 10, 15 years ago. But what we're trying to do is when we have these kind of meeting places, these interactions between different expertise i think this can only be a, a good thing because um very few people have the whole skill set as an individual sure and we shouldn't really expect people to have that whole <laughs> to be good at everything that mm-hmm. um some people have when you talk about for example quantitative research projects some people really do have expertise in that interest in that and know how to take that to to places that does bring genuine insights but that person may not be the best most qualified person about you know what actually goes on inside a classroom Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, we the older model was we, we'd sort of expect this person to know both sides, whereas that that's not really feasible. Um, and I think what's important is these ideas are shared, and we're we're not looking at things from a single perspective. We, we are look we are welcoming of you know how these things connect. And I think uh, one of the problems in, in with a lot of the Early research into this broader field was it, it was trying to make def- definitive statements as like this this is how this is how it is and whereas we're saying this is one perspective others are welcome others can improve on this perspective and, and this sort of um, collaboration I think is very important. Well, that's, I think Al Hori said the same thing, that we should be reaching mm. out to people outside of our expertise. And he's surprised it doesn't happen more. Like, why doesn't uh, a language researcher collaborate with an economist, I think was an example he said, or, you know, a psychologist. Um, but why? And, and when he said that, I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. Why, why aren't we doing that more? Or what, why do you think people shy away from reaching outside of their field? Is it just not, um, doesn't happen so much coming from language? 
I think you, I think you could sort of reverse the question mm. there. That you, why why doesn't um, the language teacher cooperate with an economist? Mm. But you could sort of ask why doesn't the economist want to collaborate with the language teacher? Because mm. I think that happens a lot. Mm. Um, uh, I think one of the problems we find when we're talking about academic research is that um, sort of set SLA in general it isn't that high on the academic in the academic hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, psychologists, mainstream educational psychologists might see somebody in foreign language learning as a someone on the fringes, as not um and the the very often the career system, the infrastructure the whole institutional infrastructure is not geared to this um moving across disciplines which mm. is a great pity um i see uh, yeah I, I hope yeah i hope it can happen i hope it can happen more because i think that is mm-hmm. the easy the easy answer to that question um, I think, like you, you said, you were look. You struggle to find a place to do your doctorate because there's not really programs in this area. Yeah, and I then- mean, uh, like the 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 ling the linguist department. There was no one that yeah. wanted to take it on. Yeah, and actually, the the advisor who was trying to line me up with a PA, uh, supervisor, he actually said it almost from the very beginning. He said, "This is psychology." And I said, yeah. I don't know anything about psychology. I, I can't do psychology. Yeah. He's like, well, if you want to study this, then you have to do psychology. Yeah. yeah. So I said, okay, I guess I need to study psychology. <laughs> kind of like the windsurfing thing. And I was being beaten, and ho- ho- beaten down by the sale. This is going you know, to sort of improve over time. The more um, courses are going to be available, specifically dedicated courses are going to be available in this area. And that gains you some traction and respectability and then you people might start to take us a little more seriously yeah uh, it it's it was such a huge learning curve for me and it continues to be because mm-hmm. i would i have to learn everything about language learning anxiety and then i have to bring it over to them who are who know nothing about language learning anxiety yeah, and yeah, they're just yeah, psychologists yeah. and they're saying what is this we don't know what this is i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know what this is you have to make an argument why i care about this yeah. And then I and then they're like, well, you need to read all this stuff over on, on our side. Mm-hmm. And so that was that's like doubly hard. Um, yeah. But it, so it's it's but it, it, it going back to what you said before, it is it does motivate me because I am researching to learn. That's why, and then it goes back to the the thing you talked about writing. That's why it's hard for me to write sometimes because I don't I don't feel like I'm an authority. So it's hard to write in a professional academic voice where I'm saying, well, I just learned this. So now I'm going to tell you what it is. You know, you kind of balance the ego as you're, as you're doing it. It's kind of interesting. The whole thing's interesting. It is. It is. Um, I've actually found that if I being blunt about my own writing, which is the, 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 very often people ask me to write things about motivation because it's one of very popular topic. And I find that be, I would consider myself reasonably knowledgeable about that field, mm-hmm. but I, I I I find that I don't write as well <laughs> when I'm knowledgeable. Um, 
So even though I may consider myself some kind of authority, I wouldn't consider myself that as a necessary qualification for the good writing. That is so interesting. I'm going to have yeah. to do some reflection on that. Do you do you find <laughs> do you find that that's commonly true in your circles, or is that unique to no. you? I, I think myself and Zoltan feel like that very often. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think well, I think we write for different purposes. Uh, there there are people who, you know, ha- really have something to say, and that they, they have a, a a research project that's very meaningful to them, and they want to get that data out there share it with other people and that's a different kind of a very different kind of writing and and uh, some people are good at that and they and they're probably good at it because they they're interested in that whereas i think we just have very different interests sometimes um i find that when i'm learning as i write it comes through in the written word mm. Well, what was your what was your favorite uh, chapter of the book, if you had one, if you had to choose? Uh, the it's a really good question, actually, because I've used this book as a as a teacher at the graduate school, mm-hmm. um, in as, as a as a textbook. That makes sense. And yeah. one, one of the interesting things is that. Um, the chapters I really enjoyed writing are not the chapters I enjoy using as a teacher. Which, Why is that? Um, well, I think it's the, the 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 two I really enjoyed writing were personality and aptitude, mm-hmm. and they are the ones that. Well, the very practice-oriented um, graduate students don't really feel as being relevant. It, it does. They, they both dip into some quite deep air, theoretical areas, that, um, which was great as a as a writer and as a learning experience for myself. But perhaps as from a practical if you're a teacher um, or a teacher to be, these may not be that useful to you as in your own practice. But that's really interesting. But as someone like for me, those two chapters are the most important because okay, you yeah. go you go into there. There's more debate in those chapters. I would say yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. debate all the way around, but. And those are the two that you're expected to do as and you're supposed to dive into those things as an academic and you're supposed to find both sides and talk. And, but maybe as a student, it's harder to, to, to take because just, you know, maybe as a student, you're approaching it. Oh, I just need to know the information so I can apply it. Um, so that's maybe, maybe it's harder for them, but that's, those are the, definitely the most important ones. Like, Hey, we don't have all the answers yet. There's still this debate. This debate's been going on for a long time. There's still lots of angles that you could take it in future. Um, that's that's funny you said that because those two were the most interesting for me to read. Um, I, I think one one reason they are interesting to read is that 
there, there, there is a lot more discussion in those two chapters, and I think there's more discussion because there's more room for discussion because there's less actual empirical research specifically related to foreign language learning in those two areas, which gave you more space to to elaborate on ideas as a writer, um, which is going to be a challenge because in recent years there's been a sort of little bit of a revival in the area of aptitude. So mm. I'm sort of interested in what will happen. Yeah, I, I told you before we started um, recording that I, I really liked, you went really deep beyond the McIntyre Sparks Ganshaw mm. debate. And I, I feel like I, I'm pretty well versed in that. But then, yeah, I think I, I made the metaphor that it, it was like deep sea. I, I was more like a windsurfer in my research and you're like a deep sea diver. But you said when you were when you were writing it, you didn't feel that way? Oh, definitely not. No, I, I, I was a lot of, I was, especially the theories of intelligence and you know these are really quite deep ideas what is intelligence what and how do we measure this how do we define this how do we operationalize research into the quite fundamental questions of, um and I, I never really had to write at that level before or probably never thinks substantial you know in a, a focused way on that in, in that way before i think it was um intimidating at first but it was, it was immensely enjoyable hmm. um, well there there's there's a lot in this book uh i think this is some something that every everyone should read i guess the the big question i had for you is mm. i'm not i'm not a motivational researcher but i do bump into it at times and it, and it will affect yeah. certain things I do in the future. But I always approach it with caution when I include it in a paper. And mm-hmm. I actually have told other people as well, if you're going to include motivation, just, just tread lightly because you can mm-hmm. get sucked into the depths and never find, find your, find your way back. Do you, do you have advice for people how to stay focused uh, without getting distracted? Because I mean, you can just, you're going one way on the book where you're talking about, I don't know, imagination or vision yeah. or selves yeah. or yeah. creativity or interest. Now we're inter- Now we're talking about interest. Now we're, you know, mm-hmm. now yeah. we're talking about future self. Now, okay, now we're going back to imagination or it, mm-hmm. I could just, I could see how someone could go way off course, even though all of those elements could be important. Um, how, how, how do you, how did you manage it as a student? And do you give advice to other people not to get too far off track? What I do myself, and I guess that's I advise people based on what works for me, is that you know give yourself space, give yourself time to get off track, um, mm. and then. So w- when I was doing this, I, I would, I mean, I would wake up in the morning and just think, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I just, and then I'd go to the last thing on my mind before I went to sleep would be like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was going on for a long time um, because it was just this huge. It's too big. You yeah. Know, it, yeah. Ahead of me. And then 
when I would sit down at this, it was a different computer back then, but it was actually the same table, was, and I'd try to sit down, I'd have these times where it just wasn't, nothing was working, and then I would, then I found this sort of little thing where I would just say, like, I'm just getting away from this desk, walking as far as I can walk, mm-hmm. and then coming back, and just the little breaks, changes of environment, they were actually really focused. My you know, Getting away from thinking, away from my um, computer, away from my desk, really helped me sort of sharpen my ideas. Um, and I, I do that a lot, actually. I tend to um, write a lot in my head when I'm walking or doing something else. Um, but that, I know it doesn't work for everybody. I, an interesting story about what I've done writing together with um, Sarah Mercer. She works in a very different way from me, and I can I've been in situations where I've been in the same. You know, she's been in the next room, and I've been, and I can just hear her typewriter of the keyboard just being <laughs> bashed senseless for a day. <laughs> And I know I've written about three words. And then I would think that's a coffee break. Then I would think, well, I've written a sentence now. I deserve a walk. And I'd go for a walk, come back, and delete my sentence. And whereas in the other room, I can just hear this of a endless bashing of a computer keyboard. But at the end of the day, I think we, we, we end up with, uh, you know, a similar output at the end of the day, but we just come from very different angles. And I think, you know, finding out what works for you and is, is, is I think that's the, the, the really difficult thing. You have to try a lot of different approaches. You can be disciplined with time. You could say, I, I, I do this between this time and this time every day on these days. Or you can think, well, yeah, I, I, I accept that I'm going to go weeks and weeks with a blank. But then it's all going to come pouring out. Or I just pour everything out and then filter it and edit later. People, people work in different ways. It works. Some things work for some people but don't for others. And just trying... And finding out is all I could recommend, really. When you're reviewing something or editing something, is mm-hmm. there something you can tell almost right away if the paper's good or bad? Do you like to look at things quickly, like points in the paper? Um, is it, would you read the first paragraph and you know that it's it's going to be good or not? Something like that. That's a really interesting question. I've never, I haven't ever thought about it. I think actually one of the things that happens is that as over the, the length of your career, you, the material that comes to you is different. Mm-hmm. So I think in the, in the early stages of your, your, your career, you'll get sent material that is probably more, 
what, what's the word? Um, there'll be more debate about it, its quality. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if the, the stuff that I get now is stuff that probably has been been through a few, you know, it's been read and thought this is worth looking at more. And so I don't think I ever get anything now that is, you know, you, you on first, it actually needs a thorough reading before you, you evaluate. I see. But I think there are certain, you know, there are giveaways. You, you can see when people have, um, what, like, there's really superficial things such as, you know, when you, you, you see, that's obviously been cut and paste from somewhere else, mm. um, you know, with a font, especially with references and things. Mm. <laughs> you see, you've just um, the font's different for this reference, and maybe the citation style is different. So you've, you you see things that've been cobbled together, which suggests they haven't put much time and thought into it. Um, small things like that uh, are often giveaways. Hmm. Well, the book is The Psychology of the Language Learner Revisited. This was published in 2015. And again, it was based on the 2005 book by Dornier, The Psychology of the Language Learner, Individual Differences in SLA. And maybe in the next few years, we're going to get an update of, is it going to be the same title? Revisited? Re-revisited? It's not... Um, if anybody has any good suggestions about what could go there, I'd be very welcome because we have to put something catchy in there. And I'm not sure updated doesn't really grab me, my attention, but it would be the psychology of language learner with an, an, a keyword to follow. Right. Uh, the psychology of the language learner, how to write badly. You can, you can, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, the, oh, that, that was a catchy title. Uh, I'll have to check that one out. But you said that was Michael, one of the books that changed your life, right? The, the book that changed my academic life. Michael Billick. I would recommend it to everybody. I will check that out. Um, uh, I guess uh, we're coming up to an hour, so I'm going to let you go. I know you got other stuff to do, but I just wanted to uh, share a quick story. So okay. you did a webinar for Multilingual Matters maybe months ago. I can't I think yeah. that was in 2020. Um and I went to that and I and I really liked it. I think it was about how to how to publish. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. And I really liked it and I thought, "Oh, I really want to talk um to Dr. Ryan on the podcast. It'd be really cool." So I sent you an email uh like the next day. Uh well, oh. I th- I thought I thought I thought it was you. So I I so oh. I'm in, I I'm in the, so I'm in the mind brain education sig. Okay. And I see yeah. on the email sometimes someone named Stephen Ryan. Yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, Stephen Ryan, he's in our SIG. This is awesome. So yeah. I sent an email. It was like a long email. And it was, and it was, and I was sort of saying how I would like you to come on the show and all this stuff. And I get this really nice email back from Stephen Ryan, who's not you, mm. who says, yeah. uh, I'm sorry to inform you, but you, 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 you're trying to get in touch with the famous guy at Waseda. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> Can, can I ask you? Can I follow? Can I ask you which one was it? Oh, it's the brain guy, yeah. Because okay. the thing is, there are actually three St- Stephen Ryan's in Japan, which is really—it's um, not that common a name. But for some reason, there've been there were three. Um, I remember 
my very first time presenting at a JALT conference in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, was in the presentation room, then I heard this murmur going through the audience, that's not Stephen Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> they were all there to see the other guy you contacted. Um, that's really funny. I, I tried that at a AAAL conference well, as well when uh, some a bunch of people from Japan came into the, my presentation and the first reaction, that's not Stephen Ryan. <laughs> and it's sort of, <laughs> we're in that awkward position of, um, is it too late to get up and leave? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So over the years, me, me and him are, are pretty even, I think. I, I think I, when, I, I have that same awkward situation, but it's not because of my name. It's because I start into the presentation and people think I don't want to listen to this and they leave. So at least it, you have a better reason than me. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it, it, I've had a few over the, I remember going to a conference once and, you know, they said, you've paid <laughs> your bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been charged for oh. them as well. So it's it, over 20 years, I think we're, we're, we're roughly even. Well, now that the, you know, the iApple corner has risen so big, maybe you can start another new group, just the Stephen Ryan corner. Just, yeah, that's what I was thinking. We'd have a little Aaron Seek or something like that. <laughs> that would be a very special it'd be like a v-sig uh, uh, yeah. well uh thank you so much for your time no um it was really great talking to you and again I'll, I'll put the links for the psychology of the language learner revisited and i apple and also the psychology of language learning and teaching book series i think these are these are really great resources for for people to check okay. out I'm glad you've joined Apple. Okay, um, and try to be an active member. And <laughs> I will. Very, yeah, very welcome in a active membership. Um, so again, th thank you so much for coming on Lost in Citations. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.